Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Awakened Catholic Show. Today, I have a very special guest with me. He is a man who has changed my life for many, many years without really knowing it. And then I recently had the opportunity to share that with him, and he just gave me a hug. Mr. Christopher West, welcome. Thank you. To The Awakened Catholic Show. Thanks, everybody. And if you couldn't tell, we have a live in-studio audience. And super, super excited to do this. Last night, you guys put on the Made for More event, you and Mike Mangione. Extraordinary. Truly extraordinary. Who, who here in the audience was there at that event? All right. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Today, we're going to be diving into, we're going to do a deep cut, a deep dive into the man, the myth, the legend, the lowercase g god walking amongst men. <laughs> well, actually, there's the truth to that. I know. We're going to talk. About uh, we're going to talk about that. Called. We're all called. God became man so that man might become God. God. All of that is coming up right after this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show. I am your host, Nick De La Torre, and this is not your grandmother's Catholic talk show, unless she's a really, really cool grandmother. I am so blessed today to be joined by my brother in the Lord, Christopher West, a man who is just doing such amazing and important things uh, for the kingdom in the world today. But before we get into that conversation, I just want to tell you about the sponsors of today's episode. First and foremost, and very gloriously and lovingly, Casa Bea Cleaning Services. If you are in the Northwest Ohio area, then you want to check out Casa Bea Cleaning Services for your commercial or residential uh, or post-construction cleaning needs. Uh, they are amazing and they support Awaken Catholic because we are Catholic. And that is why they support us, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so all of this today is made possible by them. Uh, additionally, if you want to look on the outside as holy as you're trying to be on the inside, check out catholicmerch.store. The proceeds from catholicmerch.store support 100% of the proceeds support the mission of Awaken Catholic. Very generous of them. Ignore the fact that it is our merch store. And... Uh, <laughs> And it, uh, it's really completely unique designs. You can't find them anywhere else. And we tried to make them super yummy. And the, the, the materials that are used, everything is super high quality. So make sure to check out catholicmerch.store. Let's get into this conversation. Christopher, can I call you Christopher? Please, please do. Glory. Uh, so you are someone who has written about, spoken about, taught about the theology of the body. Could you tell us what that is? Theology of the Body is the working title that John Paul II gave to a collection of 129 Wednesday audience addresses that he delivered between September of 1979 and November of 1984. And it is perhaps one of the most, if not the most, in-depth, comprehensive biblical studies on why God made us male and female. Mm. And why are the two called to become one flesh? Mm. What does that mean? And basically, John Paul II is saying to the sexual revolution, you want to talk about sex? Well, okay, let's talk about it. But let's not stop at the surface. Let's be bold enough, courageous enough, to press into what scripture calls the great mystery of the two becoming one flesh. And the, the words that Paul uses in Greek have a great ring to them. 
the mega mysterion. Mm. Sex, meaning first our creation is male and female, right? Mm -hmm. Have you not read that in the beginning, God made them male and female? That's what sex is, right? Yeah. First of all, it's, it's a, an identity. It's who we are, male and female. He created them. Secondly, it's a call to holy communion, right? The two become one flesh. This is a mega mystery. Do we understand? Do we? I don't get it. <laughs> Nobody gets it, but do, do we at least understand that it's, it's an invitation into something mega, right? And when we treat it as a trifle, when we treat it as a toy, when we treat it as recreation, we're not only wounding ourselves and wounding others, but we're missing out on our own inheritance and destiny mm. as men and women made in the image and likeness of God. Wow. Yeah. And you're, and you're talking about how sex points to that. And last night at the Made For More event, I really appreciated that you also identified that the word sex alone does not uh, clarify this, does not point to this. Even the word gender, which has been kind of subjugated, it's been kind of stolen by the culture. To, uh, uh, they're, they're proposing that it means something different than yes. sex, that it's yes. like just a sociological, you know, uh, term that refers to behaviors and things like that. And what you pointed out last night to me was incredible. It's so obvious, too. Could you identify? Sure, sure. I, I want to say this first. Be wary of a culture that separates words from flesh. Hmm. Right? What is Christianity? Christianity is the religion of the word made flesh, right? Whoa. The word and the flesh comes together. And, and St. John says in his first letter, how do we test the spirits, right? There are, there's the Holy Spirit and then there's unholy spirits. How do we know the difference? The Holy Spirit is the one who moves in the direction of giving flesh to the word, right? Mary says, how am I going to conceive? I, I know not man. And Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who moves in the direction of incarnation, giving flesh to the word. Yeah. The, the unholy spirit is the one who ruptures the word from the flesh. Right? So words like marriage, words like gender, words like love, in the modern world, they are getting ruptured from the flesh. Right? And, and we can recognize this rupture when we go to the root of the word gender. Right? It shares the same root as words like generous, generate, progeny, genealogy, genetics, right? Gen, the Greek root, means to produce or give birth to. Up until the modern rupture of gender from the flesh, everyone understood that gender means the manner in which you generate new life. Mm. And that's determined by another gen word, your genitals. Ooh. Right? The male gender's genitals generates the next generation with sperm. I get it. It's quite simple, right? And I enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you do. We'll, we'll talk about that later. We're meant to, right? Yes. The female gender's genitals generate the next generation with ova. Yeah. And you need sperm and egg to come together in genital intercourse to understand 
the whole mystery, the mega mystery of gender. Gender is a mega mystery that points us to our ultimate destiny, which is to participate in the eternal generation of the Trinity, right? Now, God is not sexual, right? But in a completely divine, completely spiritual generation, the Father is generating the Son eternally to share in the bliss and ecstasy of the love we call the Holy Spirit. Why do we exist? God didn't need us. Hold on a second. Let's pause there, because you're spoiling some of the stuff I want to do later. <laughs> Christopher, you, I mean, this is clearly something you're passionate about. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Okay. Why? Well, when you hear this, how can you not be passionate about it? Right. I'm passionate about it because I was wounded, deeply, terribly wounded by the counterfeit version of the story. I was raised, I was born in the late 60s. I was raised in the Catholic Church in the 70s and the 80s. And the message that was kind of hovering in the air about this passion and yearning I had for life, for joy, for happiness, for love, that hunger, I felt it really deeply from the earliest of ages. I remember, oh, oh um, um, summer of 1977. What movie came out in the summer of 1977? Thank you very much. Star Wars. I was the perfect age. I was just about to turn eight years old. I'm sitting in the theater and I'll never forget it. You know, it goes dark. And I'm like... <laughs> It's true. That is the reaction that it evokes. And it, yeah. it's like, where's this going to take me? When did it already take me? What, what the hell's happening to me right now? <laughs> and it's just yellow text on a screen. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't the yellow text. It was the music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That music, that, that trumpet blast, like that was a call. That was a, I'm taking you on a journey. We're going on an adventure. Mm. And I'm like, I'm in, let's do it. Yeah, but that that trumpet blast, that pop, like that that is that was that was evoking in me a, a, a deep yearning for the adventure of life. Mm. And 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 when I was growing up in the Catholic Church, like nobody connected the dots for me. Amen. Between that yearning to go on that adventure and yeah. what I was learning in religion class. Yes. Which I could summarize with one word. Boring. <laughs> yeah. I've likened it to, in my experience of it, it was basically the equivalent of world history class. Or yeah, yeah. It's, you're, you're learning information about things that allegedly happened. I wasn't there. Yeah. Right? And and it's when it's delivered in that way, it's actually just like the opening credits of Star Wars and, and the, without the, the scrolling. Without the music. Without the with, music. That's exactly. Yep. And I don't care what your favorite movie is, if if there's no soundtrack, or even worse, a grading soundtrack. Yes. Could be the best story in the world. Yeah. If there's a grading soundtrack, you're gonna walk out of the theater. And and not only is religion class or catechesis or whatever without that music of of the love and the truths of, of God, the Trinity, the theology of the body, when it's without that, it isn't just like the class. You can draw that 
correlation to a lot of things like yes yes sex yes 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 right the society is offering us like like you when you draw that comparison between between hugh hefner what he did and what jp2 did it's very similar to this where society's like you look at these scrolling credits isn't it super cool but it's void of the music that makes it so powerful it's void of the music that makes it beautiful yeah and then jp2 is like wait a second unmute the tv and then you're like wow you're you're putting your finger right on it what i learned from John Paul II's Theology of the Body, is I learned the authentic soundtrack of Christianity. Mm. And the authentic soundtrack, drum roll please. The authentic soundtrack is the Song of Songs. Yes. It's the greatest song ever written and it's smack dab in the middle of your Bible. And what is it? It is stunningly bold, erotic, love poetry yes and the saints have written more commentaries on this bold erotic love poetry yeah. than any other book in the bible my wife loves it when i tell her that her breasts are like towers with warriors and archers and <laughs> it really gets her going that's actually how i've made all four of my kids and is <laughs> that's a good one it's a good one i'm so sorry alina <laughs> She's dying back there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it wouldn't quite go over if you told your wife, like, her nose was like the Tower of Lebanon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so JP2 recognizes some of the metaphors are, are lost on us in the modern world, right? But if you, if you enter into the, that rich metaphor of the Song of Songs, you discover this profound joy yeah. taken in being male and female, and in the call of the two to become one flesh. Yes. And the reason the saints go to this more than any other book in the Bible is because it gives them a language to describe their own interior experience of encountering God. Mm. Right? And this is the main analogy. It's the main image from the beginning to the end of the Bible. The Bible uses marriage and that intimate union of man and woman more than any other image in all of scripture to help us understand something of the union that we're called to eternally. Yeah. Right? And here, let's, let's look at the word, the biblical word for that intimate union is knowledge, right? Adam knew his wife. I love knowledge. <laughs> you should love knowledge. Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Now check this out. Christ describes eternal life with the very same word. Mm. This is eternal life, that you would know the living God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That you would know God, what, no, what, what, same word, what? Yeah. And this is the very first line in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Right in the prologue, the prologue of the catechism. You think of any scripture that it could have chosen to, to launch the whole of the Catholic faith. And the catechism begins with, Father, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the one true God. The call of the Catholic faith yes. is to enter this eternal nuptial union with God. And that's why the Song of Songs is the authentic soundtrack of our faith. Uh, can I tell a story here? Yes. 
So a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I'm, I'm praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And this third grade teacher comes in with her little religion class. And I'll try not to exaggerate, but it went something like this. Now, children, Jesus Christ is truly present in the Blessed Sacrament, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And we need to show special reverence to Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. So when I count to three, we're all going to get on one knee. Ready? One, two, three. I said, ah, ah. There goes another generation of disaffected Catholics. Yeah. Right? So what's going on here? This is a case of what I call right words, right? She didn't say anything wrong, right? Any believing Catholic would affirm that her words were correct. Jesus is truly present. We need to show reverence. Absolutely. Totally agree. But this is a case of right words, wrong music, right? And what affects the human heart more? Mm. the words or the melody, right? When we, when we, when Christianity is set to the wrong music, we, we scorn it. We, 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 we're, we, uh, right? We, another way to say it, truth and beauty yes. must be wed. When truth and beauty get ruptured, we scorn the truth and we Born the beauty. Thanks. This is the world we live in right now. Yeah. The theology of the body in my life was the bringing together of truth and beauty. And now you're singing. Mm. Now you're singing the song of songs. And all of the rules of the dance now make sense. Right? If any dance instructor, we could put it this way. Any dance instructor knows there's a time and a place to say, okay, put your foot here. Don't put your foot there, right? Move like this. Don't move like that. Mm -hmm. But if that's all you learned of the dance was the rules and nobody ever turned on the music, mm -hmm. well, then your dance is cold and mechanical. And awkward. And awkward. Yes. And, and you won't even feel it when you step out of the dance because... You don't hear the music. All you're going to hear is your teacher saying, don't do that. And you're like, why? Because I said so. But when you turn the music, when you, when you, when you hear the love song that God is singing and you feel it in your heart, then the natural movement that wells up in you is you want to dance in step with it. Mm -hmm. And you will feel yourself, not because the teacher said so, right. you will feel yourself when you step out of rhythm. And you're like, oh, I made a mistake. I'm going to get back in rhythm. That's Christian morality. Yeah. Hearing the love song and dancing in step. And we have this tendency because the society is so good at making us rebellious. It's the programming that be your own God. You decide what's right and wrong for you. The, the tendency then is, well, I hear the rhythm, but... I don't want to be restricted by the rhythm, so I'm just going to like do some kind of modern esoteric dance. And it's like, you just look like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that doesn't look good. Um, and, and I'll put it this way too. There's so many angles to this yeah, yeah. analogy, but when you are dancing in step with it and other people don't hear the music and they see you, to them, you look like an idiot. Right. Right. Have yes. you heard this expression? Those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad, right? I remember 
uh, I don't know, on one of our wedding anniversaries, Wendy and I were watching our, our video from our reception and everybody's dancing to the music and somebody called me in the kitchen. So I put it on mute and I said, yeah, what do you want? And I look back and it was still on mute and everybody's doing this. <laughs> look like total idiots, right? Yeah. But you turn the music on, it makes sense. Yeah. And so I always say to my students, whoa, whoa, listen to the music. Yes. You've got to tune in to this love song. And if you hear that music, mm -hmm. what do I mean? Like hear the music. It's everywhere in creation. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, God is singing a love song. What is a bird song? It's a mating call. Yeah. What are the crickets chirping about? It's a mating call. Why do flowers smell so good and why are they so beautiful? And what is a flower anyway? Flower is one of nature's most beautiful reproductive organs. Yeah. Right? Everything beautiful in creation is about life-givingness. Right? It's, it's about fertility. Mm -hmm. It's about being fruitful and multiplying, right? What is all of this fertility in creation saying to us? saying God is life-giving love. Yes. But what can we do that the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees can't do? We can have sex. Well, they can too. Oh, that's true. Sorry. <laughs> I just get really excited about it. So <laughs> at least most living things can, but yes. what is different? What's different? What's the difference between hamsters going at it and a husband and a wife becoming one flesh? Right? There's some profound difference, and it comes down to this word, freedom. Mm. Right? The hamsters are doing this unwittingly. Right? They're just responding to instinct. What do we have that the animals don't have? We have free will, which means we can freely enter into this love song. Freedom is the prerequisite of love. And there's this push in the modern world to equate human beings and animals. We are animals in a sense, but we're more than animals. And when we forget the more, we reduce ourselves to the level of animals. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of a song, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago, a song by a band called the Bloodhound Gang. Oh my god. This band? <laughs> yeah. Do you remember this song? You and me, baby, ain't nothing, nothing but, but animals, animals. So let's do, do it, it like, like they, they do, do on the Discovery, Discovery Channel. Channel. Do it again now. You and me. Sorry. Yeah. See, that that is the epitome of this reduction, yep. right? That you ain't no, we ain't nothing but mammals. Let's do it like they do it on the Discovery Channel. Okay. This whole push in the modern world to equate human beings and animals, you can't raise animals to the level of human beings, but you can reduce human beings to the level of animals. Mm -hmm. And the reason we want to reduce ourselves here is so we can justify behaving like animals. Because to behave like a real human being sexually, we have to look at where inside the furniture has gotten all rearranged in a messed up it's like the couches are pushed over, the desks on the floor, uh, you know, there's no pictures on the wall. Like the, the furniture inside has gotten all messed up. Like there's been like this tornado that's come through our homes and just wrecked it. Oh, and we're in ruins. Scripture uses that very image. We're in ruins. John Paul II says that the true meaning of sexuality in the fallen world 
is in ruins, but Christ comes into those ruins to rebuild us, to restore us, to reclaim us. And so one of the great gifts I discovered, the greatest gift I discovered in John Paul's teaching is this call not to the repression of sexuality, to the redemption yeah. of sexuality. Oh, amen. That's beautiful. And that actually, um, in my prayer time, the Lord has been leading me a lot to Hosea. Even when I end up trying to start reading something else, he's just like, no, 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 Nick, stay in Hosea. Um, and, and some stuff has been standing out to me lately, right along the lines of what you're saying about how explicitly it seems as though the Lord is in Hosea illustrating for us, I don't care how crappy you are. I don't care what muck you find yourself in. I want to marry you. Amen. I want to betroth you yes. to me forever. And then he says, prophet says, and you will know yeah. the Lord. Yes. And it's interesting. Oh, the Lord, you will know yeah. the Lord. Woo! I agree. I agree. Um, so one of the other shows here at Awaken is called The Men's Show. And uh, there was one of the episodes where I brought up, just super in passing, assuming everyone in the group agreed with me, which the whole premise of the show is we have disagreements on purpose. Um, but That sounds like fun. Oh, it is. It's fantastic. But, but anyways, I just mentioned in passing, you know, how amazing, like, the theology of the body is and you know the the ultimate wedding feast of the lamb and, and all this stuff and and some of the guys were like well you know that works for some people and i was like what do you mean it works for some people yeah. like this is the faith and they're like well no that isn't literally the faith that's like a nice way of thinking about things i'm like what, what the hell are you talking about yeah. it's literally all over scripture this is our faith this is the faith and in hosea uh we have here he says Therefore, behold, and, and to me, this is pointing to when it says her, it's talking about the church. Okay. That's all of us. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Mm. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor and door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth. And in that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. And I will make for you a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. It's pointing to the end of the world when all suffering is finished, all conflict is finished. And notice how all of creation is, is invited yes. to this. Yeah. And then it says, and I will, is, uh, I will make you lie down in safety and I will espouse you forever. I will espouse you in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will espouse you in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And the the sentence that comes before the, I, I will espouse you, I will make you lie down in safety. Left out to me. I've heard that a hundred times. You know what? When sometimes it leads yeah, yeah. That is exactly the line that just, I was like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa. I will make you lie down in safety. There is nothing more vulnerable yes than the posture of the bride before the bridegroom lying down and opening yes and the enemy attacks us right here yes right it goes right back to genesis why did the enemy approach the woman we have to read the symbols here woman here john paul ii says 
is the representative and the model of the whole human race. Exactly. Because to be human means to open to receive divine love, conceive divine love and bear it forth. That's the theology of a woman's body. But the serpent, the lie of the serpent is it is not safe to be in that open posture. Yes. And here's the antidote to it. Say it, read it again. I will make you, what does it say? I'll make you lie down in safety. It says, I will make you lie down in safety and I will espouse you Boom. forever. Boom. Boom. It's such clear imagery of the marital embrace. Oh, man. And, and that he's saying, let my perfect love cast out your fear. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a skip to be. If we got to put it this way. If Satan is right about the character of God, that he's a domineering tyrant who wants to enslave you, right? If, if the enemy's right about that, Eve was right to close herself to God. Because we can't open to tyranny. We can't open to being dominated and controlled and manipulated. Forget it. I'm closing. Fascinating. If you look at the Hebrew words for male and female in Genesis, Male, the word is zakar, Z-A-K-A-R. Guys, when I count to three, all the men are going to say that word. Zakar. Ready? One, two, three. Zakar. Right? So, mm. There's a happy homonym in the Hebrew language here that we miss t- entirely in English. Zakar also means to remember. Mm. And the Hebrew word for female is nekeva. So on the count of three, ladies, we'll say, you will say, I won't. Nekeva, nekeva. One, two, three. Nekeva. One, two, three. Nekeva. Guys, one, two, three. Zakar. Zakar. So the happy homonym in, in Hebrew for nekeva is it also means to open. Mm. So the mission of the male in Genesis is to remember divine love to the female. And inasmuch as the man remembers, she will lie down in safety. Wow. And open. That's the deepest desire of her heart, to open to perfect love. Yeah. To receive perfect love. To conceive that love and bear it forth. That's the theology of her body. So what's the original sin? JP2 says, to correct hundreds of years of misunderstanding here, it's not the sin just of the woman. And it's not the sin just of Adam. It's the sin of the couple. Because original sin is an attack against male and female identity. So if the identity of the male is to remember, what's his sin? He forgets. And if the identity of the woman is to open, what's her sin? To close. But in as much as the man forgets, she has to close to protect her own dignity and value, right? I will allow you to lie down in safety. Yeah. Because I will never forget. Mm. I will always remember my love for you. What does Christ say to those 12 men gathered in the upper room? Do this in remembrance. Do what? Lay down your life for the bride. Yes. 
And what does Mary do when the angel comes to her? She opens. And then in her Magnificat, she says, he remembered yeah. his mercy and love towards me. And I think all of this, in the theology of the body as a whole, the, the, the profound thing, the healing thing at its core, to me, for so many people, in the absence of this, is to learn that you are wanted. Mm. Yes, absolutely. So you were starting to hint at the first paragraph of the catechism. That's my thing. Thank you. <laughs> so in paragraph one of the prologue, and those of you who are at the parish mission I just did in defiance, I know some of you are here. Uh, I'm sorry you have to hear this again, but maybe you're welcome also. Um, it starts with this. God infinitely perfect and blessed in himself in a plan of sheer goodness freely created man to make him share in his own blessed life. The very first words there, God infinitely perfect and blessed in himself, he lacked for nothing. He needs nothing. And in the absence of needing anything, to choose to do something yes, yes. is very significant. We choose, where are we going to go eat today? We have to eat. We, we make choices that at the core are fundamentally about our needs also. Necessity, right? Um, I, my helpmate, my wife, Alina, I certainly want her a lot, but I also need her, right? God doesn't need us and he chose us. And so the premise for our relationship with him is fundamentally that he wants each of us. And so many people feel unwanted, unlovable, and it is such a powerful message fundamentally. And, and in the wisdom of the Catholic Church, the Church knows this. Yeah. It's the first sentence of the whole catechism. And in other words, everything the Catechism teaches us supports that one message. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. Absolutely. And if we stay there, if we just rest there, I am wanted. I am chosen. I am desired. Is everything. Because the fundamental lie is, no, you're not. And at some level, we've all internalized that. Uh, I'm, I'm 53 years old, and, and I've been wrestling pretty much my whole adult life with a deep rejection wound that came early in childhood. And I, I came... The pain was so great, and I had no idea I was even in pain when I was a kid. You're just going through life, you know? But I, I realized into married life, I was causing my wife a lot of pain. Not because I was intentionally being a jerk or an ass or something, but just because I'm broken. I'm a wounded human being, and, and you can't live with someone and sleep in the same bed and share a home and raise kids together with, without all of your pain coming into the light. I mean, it comes out. And as I was seeing, oh my gosh, I'm causing my wife a lot of pain. What's going on in me? I started doing what I would call like an, an archaeological dig with the help of a very wise spiritual director. Don't go poking around in your own stuff by yourself. <laughs> this, is why, this is why we need spiritual direction, right? We need somebody to help us go there. Um, and with this, the help of a, a beautiful priest who's been my spiritual director for almost 20 years, I started this, this archaeological dig, looking at the deep pain of feeling unloved, mm. 
feeling rejected, feeling not desired, feeling my genuine humanity was, was unlovable. And letting, letting love in, letting that exact, that, that, that first paragraph from the catechism, letting that speak to me, I am desired, I am wanted, I am chosen. And that, that is a major paradigm shifter. And I've, I've seen in my adult life how that paradigm of, of rejection has painted the way I see the world. Yeah. And it's, it's not a fun place to live from, but it, it really is the fundamental lie of original sin that he doesn't love you. Mm-hmm. Christ came into the world to undo that lie. But basically, his whole mission, his whole life is saying, you don't believe God loves you? Let me show you how much he loves you. You think God is a tyrant who wants to enslave you? I'm God, and I'm taking the form of a slave to set you free. You think God would whip your back if you gave him the chance? I will let you whip my back to demonstrate to you I have no desire to whip yours. Stop persisting in your unbelief. Repent and believe. I love you. I love you. I will allow you to lie down in safety and I will espouse you to me forever. forever. And you will know Mary is the one who first believed that. And she was able to lie down in safety. And when she says, how's this going to happen? I know not man. I can hear the prophet Hosea through Gabriel saying, you will know the Lord. Nuptials, nuptials. JP2 says the whole story of the Annunciation is the consummation of the nuptials of, of divinity and humanity. St. Augustine says that the marriage between divinity and humanity was consummated in the womb of Mary. Mary's womb is the bridal chamber, he says, where the marriage of heaven and earth takes place. Because what happens in her womb? The hypostatic union happens in her womb. Big theological term. What, what do we mean? The, the marriage of the divine and human natures in the person of Christ happened in Mary's womb. That's where the marriage is consummated. So St. Augustine calls her womb the bridal chamber where heaven and earth come together. My dear sisters, do you, do you know this about yourself? Do you know that this is what your, your, your womb says? Do you know that this is what your monthly cycle is all about? Your, your monthly cycle is cosmic. What, what, what do you mean, Christopher? Well, what determines a month in the heavens? The moon. What's the image in the heavens of Mary? The moon. Right? The image of Christ in the heavens is the sun. Right? The sun comes forth like a bridegroom, Psalm 19 says. Mary's the moon. Why? Because she reflects the light of the sun. Your cycle, your fertility is connected to the moon. What does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> but I know it's awesome. Yeah. 
If it means anything, it means you are beautiful in every phase of the month, just like the moon is. Right? But it's different. And we, every man knows if he's married, married and knows, has, you know, close relationship with the women, you don't have to necessarily be married. But every man knows they're, okay, she's in that phase of the month. Okay. But she's just as beautiful. Right? Oh, yeah. You're just as, be there's, there's a mystery. This is a mega mystery. Mega mystery. We got to enter in. Wow. That's a lot. And it's beautiful. It's in the true sense of the words, it's awesome. It yes. inspires awe. God is such a poet. All of that is so poetic. Um, it's mystical poetry. It's yeah. mystical. It's all right. I'm going to make myself a little vulnerable here. You and I prayed earlier just to be sensitive to the movements of the spirit. Yes. And uh, I'm going to. I think he's following. He's think he's leading me, and I'm going to follow. Okay, so, this, but this is vulnerable. Um, I'll never forget the first time I was. I think I was five years old, and we had this teenage babysitter, female, who was at our house. My parents were away for the night, so she was spending the night. I'm five years old, uh, so she thinks nothing of just getting ready for bed in my presence. She takes her shirt off. Oh. She's, I don't know, she's 16, maybe. I'm five. <laughs> yeah. Mesmerized. Absolutely. Mesmerized by the beauty of what I was beholding. Beauty. I was beholding beauty but my family culture you know that was just taboo nobody talked about it there's i couldn't go to anybody and say what's happening to me what the heck? what was that but so it just it, it, it goes underground oh that's bad that, you can't talk about that that's naughty that, mm -hmm. a couple years later uh, my grandmother lived down the street. I'm walking to my grandmother's house and I see this folded stack of magazine pictures in the middle of the street. Mm -hmm. I was like, what's that? <sighs> it's porn. But it was, a, it was naked people. And I, oh, I hid those pictures under a rock and I walked to my grandmother's house lots of times. <laughs> Not to see my grandmother. She thought you loved her so much. <laughs> Uh, but you know, no, there was no context in which to talk about this stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I call that the hunger gets awakened. Nobody talks about it. You, you feel the starvation. You're like, I'm so hungry that, that it's feeding something in my soul. I mean, come on. Yeah. Look, I saw the 16 year old girl's breasts. What are breasts designed by God to do? To feed to feed. There's a hunger there. There's a, a, a deep ache there to be fed. What is the fundamental hunger that every infant feels the moment he or she is born? It's a hunger for the breast. I've seen these videos on YouTube that are astonishing. We're in, in more primitive cultures. The practice is when the baby's born, they just place the baby right on the mother's womb. And I kid you not, that infant 
a newborn infant knows how to find the breast. Wow. And they allow the baby, it's like a ritual in some of these cultures, that the baby was, is placed on the womb and he slowly like shimmies up. That's amazing. To find the breast and latch, latches on. It, you're, like, you're watching, like, how does he know? Like that image of that newborn baby finding the breast, it's the exact same adventure that I wanted to go on when I saw Star Wars. Like it's the adventure to find that which will satisfy the hunger. Yeah. Right? That and, and that when the mother gives her breast to that newborn infant, it's a theology lesson. It's a theology lesson. It's theology of the body. body. Right? And what is she teaching her child? She's teaching her child, it's okay that you're hungry and it's okay that you can't feed yourself because I am here. Something bigger than you loves you and will feed you. Mm. When we don't believe that, when we don't believe that anyone's coming for us to feed that hunger, then we will take satisfaction into our own hands. Right? And this, this is a symbol of original sin right here. Yeah. I'm not saying it's sinful for kids to suck their thumbs. No, I'm not going to let my baby do it anymore. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's a symbol of original sin because original sin is taking satisfaction into our own hands. We don't believe anybody's coming to satisfy my hunger, mm -hmm. so I have to satisfy my, the hunger myself. Yes. One of my mentors, um, dear friend, he died in 2014. He was a personal friend of St. John Paul II's. His name was Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete. And he says, all temptation, all temptation comes down to one temptation. It's the temptation to believe that the satisfaction of the deepest desires of my heart is totally up to me. Nobody's coming. I got to take satisfaction in my own hand. Yeah. And there is a semblance of satisfaction in sucking your thumb because you're activating that sucking reflex, yeah. right? But are you going to get any milk out of that? Nothing. Be weird if you did. Be weird if you did. <laughs> you're not going to get any real satisfaction out. You're not going to get any real nourishment or, to quote from the prophet Nacho Libre, <laughs> you're not going to get any nutrients, right? <laughs> oh. Somebody like that. I'm so glad. Yeah. It's the best. I love. Oh my gosh. No, but the point here, it's a serious point. That fundamental hunger we feel the moment we're born for the breast. It's a theology lesson. Do, I mean, we have, the breast has been so profaned in our pornographic culture. We don't even know what it's for anymore. And in our world, we're calling good evil and evil good here. Why? In what sense? Well, you know, a, a breastfeeding mother at a Target will be ushered out or she'll be say, go to the restroom or cover that up. But what happens when you walk through the checkout line at Target? You're bombarded with what I call cleavage aisle, right? All these magazines that are pornifying the breast and we say, that's okay. But the God-given purpose of the breast is not okay in a target. 
this is a problem. We're calling good evil and evil good, right? What is the function of the breast? The purpose of the breast is to transform, transform blood into food. If that's not ringing some Eucharistic bells. It's incredible. It's called theology of the breast. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, yeah. I was going to say theology of the body, but you're not wrong. Just don't say theology of the booby. That's to be a little too. It's theology of the body, right? The, the body. It is actually good to laugh about these things too, right? There's yeah. there's something lighthearted that we we should be lighthearted about this, not in a crass way, yeah, but in a in a way that honors the the joyfulness, right? Yes. The, the, there's something we should be light on our feet. Yes. It is serious. It's we're talking serious stuff, but we should be light on our feet, and we should have a sense of humor about it. I agree. in a healthy way. I agree. I think that we in our desire for holiness and right relationship with God, we can maintain an overly pious yeah. approach to our idea, our concept of who Christ was. You know, I I like to think, not that this is scripturally based, but I like to think our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, blessed be his name, sitting around the campfire with his apostles. I hope I know where you're going. I, I like to think he's yes. making cracking fart jokes. Yes. You know, yes. like yes. he might've even done some your mom jokes. I don't know. <laughs> Like, as far as I'm concerned, they were having a blast for hey, years. Brother, I'm totally with you. I, that's my Jesus. That's the one yes. I, I, he was in, he was in the flesh, right? And everything about his flesh was holy. Yes. And he was totally at ease. He was light on his feet. I mean, I don't understand why God made farts. <laughs> Probably so he could enjoy the jokes but, while he was here. No, seriously. There's no doubt in my mind that God has a sense of humor because yeah. he invented farts. Mm -hmm. He invented this. I didn't come up with this. You didn't come up with this. He came up with this. He did. Yep. He's got to have a sense of humor about it. Amen. I mean, and I know this can become like crass and, and it can go in a sour direction, but we should, we should have a, a levity and a, a lightness and a joy and, and, and a proper sense of humor about this. Amen. Amen to that. Um, okay. Wow. We've covered some amazing ground. We, oh, we, ha we have time for this. Amazing. Okay. So if you did not submit a question, you in the audience into the basket, but you still want to ask a question, you're welcome to come drop a, a note card in uh, even now, or I'll have some of the team. Uh, Sophia, do you want to grab this? And when we get into the Q and A here, if you have a question that was not submitted ahead of time, uh, Sophia can uh, hold the mic for you and you can say it into the recording. Hey, Nick, before we, we jump into this, yes. can I just finish out what I was saying about please um, my experience oh, yes, as a little yes. boy and that mesmerization, that, that babysitter? It took me down this path that was really destructive Yeah, because I didn't know there was a holy version of the story. Mm -hmm. And so I went in the unholy direction. If you don't know there's a banquet, you're going to take that hunger to what I call the, the fast food approach, right? It was three weeks before my wedding. This is 1995. I'm praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And, and I'm praying specifically, Lord, my wedding night is in three weeks. And at this point, thanks be to God, I had not been exposed to porn for maybe five or six years. Like it, there had been a real healing in my journey. 
but those images were still in there. And, and I was specifically praying, Lord, I want to be a holy gift for my wife. And I'm afraid that because of this pornographic, diseased imagery in my mind and in my heart, that I'm not going to be that holy gift. And I had, I had already been studying theology of the body at this point and teaching it. And I knew there was this path of healing and redemption. Um, many of you, if you're at the event, you know my crumpled up paper analogy, right? There's this beautiful painting that gets crumpled up. The solution is not to throw the paper away. The solution is to let the Lord uncrumple it so we can rediscover the original beauty. Yes. So I'm in the front of the blessed sacrament. I was like, Lord, please, please, what do I do? And he said, give every pornographic lie in your mind, in your heart, to me in this tabernacle, and I will untwist it and show you the truth you were looking for. Okay, here we go. Okay, and I, I don't recommend you do this on your own initiative, but if the Lord is leading you, he will lead you, and it will be a holy redeeming experience. Don't go digging this stuff up on your own, but if the Lord is leading you, he's leading you to heal you, and I knew it was the Lord leading me. So one by one, I went back to the whole catalog of images in my mind and in my heart from when I was a little kid through all, I mean, oh, this is before the internet. If, if yeah. the internet had been around when I was a teenager. But anyway, one by one by one, I said, Lord, I give you this lie. Untwist this lie and show me the truth. Lord, I give you this lie. Untwist this lie and show me the truth. I went through the whole catalog. It took me probably a couple hours and at the end, when I surrendered that final image, this is what I saw in, in my mind's eye. It's kind of like you're having a dream, but you're awake and you start to see things. And what I saw was so holy, so healing, so sacred. It was the Christ child at the breast of the Blessed Mother. And I heard these words spoken to my heart, Christopher. This is what you've been looking for the whole time. Wow. The only way we can own, overcome those unholy indulgences is by getting to the root of the yearning and finding its holy satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Taking it to the banquet, taking it to the true, the good, and the beautiful. The only way to overcome evil is with good. The only way to under overcome what is unholy is with the holy. That image of the Christ child at the Blessed Mother's breast is so holy, so sacred. Blessed is the womb that bore him. Mm -hmm. Blessed are the breasts from which he nursed. That's the redemption of all those diseased images and, and ideas. Wow, yeah. I just wanted to bring that full circle. I appreciate that. Yeah, and actually, it's it's such a... A practical thing. It isn't, it isn't. So years ago, it was, it was well over a decade, maybe 13, 14 years ago, you were in this area and I saw you for the first time. And, and at that event, you illustrated that happened, that, that occasion when you were before the Blessed Sacrament. I shared that story. You did. You did. And, um, you know, I was someone, I have been someone in my life that has like suffered severe addiction to pornography. And that was, something that I like immediately after, because that night I had, I had been pretty uh, obstinately anti-Catholic for some time at that point. And I like became radically Catholic that night. And um, so I went to a, a blessed sacrament, uh, the St. Aloysius here in town. 
And I, I did that. Like, I just, I went there that night. I don't remember if it was that night, but it was like in that, in that, time. in that time. Yeah. And it was powerful. Like I didn't have an image at the end of it or anything, but like, it was really healing even just to say to God, like, this is yours now because you can do something with this. I can't. And ever since when certain thoughts or images might creep in or something, it's like, no, 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 straight to him. Um, and, and that's an amazing power that we have if we choose it. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they, Adam had been given dominion over all of, of the created world, the earth, the, the garden. And that included the serpent. Yes. And he didn't exercise that dominion. He, all he had to say was, get the frick out of here. You have no place here. Amen. And so when those thoughts come in, it's like, I, I execute that authority. It's like, no. Amen. No, 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 not in here. You're not welcome here. Uh, so it's a very practical thing. You have to, you have to, especially earlier on, as you're building that virtue, as you're flexing, the, you know, b building those muscles, you have to be really deliberate about like forcing yourself not to entertain those things. But as over time, that as that virtue grows, it becomes a lot easier. This is one of the most important principles of Catholic theology. If you let this sink in, it'll change the way you see the whole universe. Yeah. The devil does not have his own clay. Yeah. All he can do is take God's clay. And God looked at everything he made and said, behold, it is very yeah. good. All sin can do, all the enemy can do is take that good clay and yeah. twist it up. Redemption is not throwing away the twisted clay. Redemption is untwisting the twisted clay to reclaim the true, the good, and the beautiful. That's the journey we're on. Amen. I love it. Okay, man, it's, it's interesting. There were a few things I had prepared that we were going to do. We normally do the Catholic weird stuff segment, you know, but Holy Spirit is doing his thing. I want to do the Catholic weird stuff segment. <laughs> All right. I'm not in a hurry. Are All right. I don't even know what Let's... the Catholic weird stuff segment is, but <laughs> I want to do it. All right. Uh, I'm getting a no from my beloved, but Christopher West says yes. So Ethan hit it. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think. Why do they do the things that they do? Let's learn some Catholic weird stuff. It's a bird. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Catholic Weird Stuff segment. Today, I'm I, a little concerned that you said no to your wife, though. No. She, <laughs> I mean, look at that. But let's be real. It's Christopher West. I, mean, no, I think you should defer out of reverence for Christ to your wife. That's what I. I'm Can I get a yes from you? We'll fast. We'll do it fast. We'll do it fast. The topic for today's Catholic Weird Stuff segment is a weird word for us Western Christians, the, uh, us Catholics, the Roman Catholics specifically. We don't use it enough, I think, for a couple of reasons that I'll explain. Divinization. Divinization, it's a weird word. It sounds a bit like divination, which it is not, but sounds like it and could be one of the reasons we avoid using it to not create confusion. It also becomes easily dangerous to misunderstand and mis-execute, misuse this concept, verging into something that is akin to Mormonism or New Age movement. Um, and that is the idea that we become, with a lowercase g, gods. This is a Roman Catholic teaching. It's a biblical teaching. It's a biblical teaching. We are called, St. Peter says, first Pope, he says, we are called to participate in the divine nature. Mm -hmm. The key word is participate. Yes. Right? We are not divine by nature. But what God is by nature, we are meant to be by grace. Right? God is not by nature human. Mm -hmm. But he became human. Right? 
God was humanized to eyes something is to make it something it wasn't originally. Precisely. God was humanized so that we could be divinized. Mm -hmm. That's the marriage that we were talking about earlier of the human and the divine that took place in Mary's womb. So where, where do we become divinized? In the very same place that God became humanized. Yes. In the womb of Mary. Yes. She's truly our mother from the cross. Final, one of the final words of Jesus, woman, behold your son, the beloved disciple. That's all of us. Mm -hmm. Mary really becomes our mama. We are regenerated through the womb of the church in baptism. Yes. That's where we become participants in the divine nature. Amen. Beautifully put. No surprise, but, <laughs> but, uh, the, the danger is in something like the Mormon faith tradition where they actually refer to God, our God as not a Trinitarian God, but one God amongst many, he has siblings, he has parents, and this is heresy. God is infinite. He has no beginning, no end to imply that he has siblings implies he has parents. And if he is infinite, no beginning, no end that it doesn't, it's not, it's incompatible. Um, and in the New Age movement, God is seen as just this universal energy that we are part of and it is in us and we are it. And it's just like this really weird, abstract, ambiguous thing. But the premise is that we like, we've, we can follow our own will. We have our own power because we are gods. And it, again, that's a skewing, the a distorting of the truth. You mentioned um, earlier how uh, heaven and, and earth collide and, and the divine and the human collide and, and, and come together in the womb of Mary. Something very amazing and very, I, I don't hear enough people acknowledge this, in the first chapter of Luke, the, the comparison of the word choices with something that's at the end of the book of Exodus. Okay, check this out. They had this tent of meeting, which is where, okay. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Yeah. you going with this. Brother. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud abode upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, it, it, the amazing thing is in the gospel of Luke, the, the glory of the Lord comes down and overshadows. It, it overcomes Mary and fills the tabernacle of her womb. Now, where Moses literally was incapable of entering the tent of meeting because he would have died, Mary becomes the tent of meeting, becomes the tabernacle, and we do too when we receive the Eucharist. And so this to me is connected to the divinization issue because what, is, what do we have that Moses didn't have? I mean, gosh, he's Moses. We have the sacraments. We have sanctification. We have divinization in a way that they never had access to in the Old Covenant. Right. We, so, so we are becoming something and a part of something so much more profound than what any of the yeah. prophets of old, the patriarch, like, it's amazing. And now we can understand perhaps a little better why Joseph was afraid to bring Mary into his home. Yeah. Right. Moses was afraid. He couldn't enter the mystery. Uh, David, when he was bringing the tabernacle, uh, the, the, coven the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he, one of his servants reached out to touch the ark without the proper reverence, and he's slain dead. Right? And David's like, whoa, 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 I'm not bringing the ark into my home. He picks some servant. Here, here, you, Uzziah, you, yeah. you, take, the, you take the ark. See what happens to you. 
Oh, and you saw what happened in Indiana Jones. Uh, exactly. Oh my I don't my Disaster. Disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but Uzziah takes the ark into his home, and because his whole family shows proper reverence, they all flourish. So now David understands reverence. Reverence is a gift of the Holy Spirit. David invokes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls on him. He brings the ark into his home, and he takes off all his clothes, and he dances this wild dance. Yeah. Listen to the scripture. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to bring Mary, your wife, into your home. Son of David is the key here. Joseph, just like David, had to overcome that fear of bringing the ark into his home. Mary's the ark of the new covenant, right? Mm -hmm. The word on stone tablets in the old ark is now the word made flesh in Mary's womb. When Joseph faced that fear and overcame it by the Holy Spirit, Imagine Joseph's dance before Mary. If, if you understand biblical typology, David's dance before the ark is just a little foreshadowing mm-hmm. of Joseph's dance before Mary. And I love dancing in front of Alina. Usually it involves some hip thrusting, but uh, anyways, so well, let's get into some Q&A. <laughs> he said that, not I. <laughs> Okay. Wait, well, actually, yes. you know, I know that was a humorous. Oh, no, I, I really do do but, that. But, yeah. but <laughs> I want to, the, da- the dance of marital love, mm. it is a dance. And it's a sacred dance. It's the holiest dance that a husband and wife can dance. If they are open to the Holy Spirit, it becomes that sacred dance, right? What are they dancing to? Is the song of songs we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. The music. It's the music. It's the music. You hear the music. You cannot not dance. Yeah. Well, I'm never gonna I'm never gonna watch Star Wars the same way after today. <laughs> <laughs> or the intro scrolling credits. Um all right. First question. How do we love others who grasp at us? How do we avoid grasping for others? I don't know. Next question. <laughs> Let me see that again. Okay. I just folded it up. I just Sorry. want to see how they, how this person worded it again. How do we, how do we love others who grasp at us? Okay. Another way to ask the same question would be, how do we love those who cause us pain? Mm. How do we love those who don't know how to love us? Right. And I like this word, grasping in that it captures the what the opposite of love is Mm. right um original sin is a grasping we don't believe that god wants to grant us the knowledge of good and evil right then god wants us to have the knowledge of good and evil but he doesn't want us to grasp at it he wants us to receive it as a gift right it's not that god didn't want us to eat from that tree He wanted us to receive the fruit of that tree as a gift from his hand. But the enemy says, God doesn't want you to have that. And and you want it. So the only way you can get it is Mm -hmm. take it. John Paul describes the original sin as the denial of the gift. We don't believe God's going to give it to us, so we take it. That's the exact opposite of love. (laughs) Grasping. So how do we love those who aren't loving us, who are grasping at us? 
It's another word for lust, right? Lust is always a grasping, always a taking, right? The truth of love is this is my body given for you. The opposite of love is that's my body and uh, that's your body and I'm taking it for me. I'm grasping at it. I'm going to point to a, a, a line in the catechism. It's one of my favorite quotes from the catechism, 2843. Look it up. It's talking about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. The catechism says it's not in our power. Listen to that. It's not in our power not to feel or to forget when someone's wounded us. But the heart that offers itself, opens that pain to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit transforms that pain into compassion. What does compassion mean? To suffer with. Why did that person cause you pain? Because that person's in pain. The pain that you feel is the pain that other person knows. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit can turn the pain you feel into, oh, you feel that same pain. Now I, I'm beginning to have compassion for you because I know how much pain you're in because you dumped it on me and I feel it. And then the catechism goes even further and says, the hurt, the memory of the pain gets transformed into intercession for the person who caused us that pain. Wow. Maybe that the Lord has allowed that person to cause you that pain because the Lord knew that eventually you would have the courage to turn that pain into intercession for that person. Mm. And maybe no one else ever would have that courage. I've seen that miracle in my own life, both through people who've caused me pain, I've learned how to turn it into a prayer, and people I've caused pain, I've seen them learn how to turn that into a prayer for me. Yes. It's so healing. It's the only way out. It's the only way really to heal. Yeah, and, and if we are striving to be like God, right, we, we have to come to terms with the idea that we cannot see any other person as an enemy. We cannot, and, and I, you know, I've kind of proposed in a, in a bit of a, um, you know, it's, it, it's a little bit inflammatory, uh, the idea that God doesn't hate Satan. Right, right. He, he, he created Satan. He, crea and he, he and created he, Lucifer, an angel of light. Yes. And we are, are to, if, if God can do that, like our, our trajectory, our goal should be to love even those who hate us. Even and that doesn't mean us. to like them. No, no, no. It doesn't have. Yeah. I, I, heard, I, I heard this once and I, I really stayed with me. This woman who had, had a terribly abusive relationship with her mother. The mother was terribly abusive to her. And she was once asked, do you want to see your mother in heaven? And she said, she said, yes, but not a minute sooner. <laughs> That's a great answer. Yeah, it's, it, it's real. It's, yes. You know, because there are real fractures and real struggles that we have to be real about. Go ahead. Okay. If you had to, I'm going to consolidate this question, but I'm getting at the heart of it. If you had to, in a very abbreviated form, very abbreviated form, uh, how would you quickly answer oh oh this is a good one how would you quickly answer a question about chastity as it relates to homosexuality yeah we are all sexually disoriented yeah i don't even want to single a group out and say well you're you got some particular issues yes no. yeah we're all sexually disoriented yeah none of us experience sexual desire as god created it to be god created sexual desire to be the very power to love in his image and likeness all of us have inverted rocket engines is the image I use. We're meant to launch to the stars. All our rocket engines are inverted. 
I think it's an injustice to single anybody out and say, well, you, you got that. Right. Every single human being mm-hmm. is in need of sexual reorientation towards the infant. Which is really about healing the, the, the self, the person. The person. Yeah. What, what you have is just different manifestations of sexual confusion. I'm sexually confused. You're sexually confused. You're sexually confused. Some people are confused in that way. Some people are confused in that way. We're all confused here. Right. And God wants us nonetheless. God wants all of us to rediscover who we really are. And there's real power in the death and resurrection of Jesus for that to happen. We shouldn't expect, well, I'm just going to follow Jesus. And tomorrow I'm going to be just what God wanted me to be. What does Jesus say? Take up your cross for three days. No, it's not what he said. Take up your cross every day. Yeah. every day and follow me yeah it's going to be a difficult journey but we will get to the glorified state of our yeah. humanity amen and and the lie from the enemy that is so strategically genius of course would expect nothing less is that your form your version of sexual confusion whatever it is is your identity right, right. and so how many how many men are struggling with pornography for example and half of the battle is that they think of themselves as as an addict of pornography, and I, there's nothing I can do about it. These are lies of the enemy. Yeah, amen. There's nothing, you, it's out of your power. Yeah. It's just part of who you are. You, you masturbate. Yeah. That's part of your life. Yeah. No. no. Your identity goes far deeper than that. And Christ came into the world. This is straight out of the catechism. Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. That's the trajectory. Yeah. That's where we're headed. Beautiful. Okay, you talked last night about your marriage and discovering together you don't fulfill each other. That was awesome. That's not what I said. (laughs) The ultimate fulfillment. Yeah, yeah. Um, How do we then let the Holy Spirit fulfill our needs and hunger for love? How do we do that and stop putting pressure on others to fulfill us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great question. Um, Let me just clarify for those who weren't there last night that... There's a a difference between treating a human relationship, marriage, for example, as an icon of our ultimate destiny and treating it as an idol, Mm -hmm. right? What I was confessing is that there was an idolatry in my marriage where I was expecting Wendy to do for me what only God can do. And that wreaked havoc in our marriage. And I got to the point where I realized Wendy's not God. I can't treat her like God. She's not my ultimate fulfillment. She is a beautiful foreshadowing of that fulfillment, but she's not that ultimate fulfillment. That itself is a reorientation, right? Prayer, the fathers of the church tell us, is nothing other than becoming a longing for God. Whenever I'm tempted by an idol, uh, and by that I mean whenever I'm tempted to aim my desire for God at something less than God and expect it to do for me what only God can do, this scripture comes to mind and it has saved me a hundred thousand times from falling into idolatry. I treasure your promises in my heart, O Lord, lest I sin against you. What's the promise that I treasure? That every genuine, deep longing of my heart, he wants to satisfy. I treasure that promise in my heart, O Lord. I don't have to grasp at it if he's going to grant it to me. If I'm treasuring that promise in my heart, then I don't need to grasp at that idol. 
I can let it go and I can direct my yearning to that promise. That's how we get saved from, from our idols, from treating other people as idols, redirecting desire, never squashing desire, redirecting desire. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, how do I respond to those who I love and live, and they live uh, openly contrary to the faith in one way or another? The same way Jesus did, with great love, uh, with great compassion, with great understanding. Think of the rich young man. Jesus just told him, hey, you've been following the rules, but there's more, right? I want you to give me everything. And he's like, I can't do it. And he walks the other way. And then one of my favorite lines in the New Testament, it says, Jesus looked at him with scorn and hatred. <laughs> Which translation was that? <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Um, no, Jesus looked at him with love. Jesus looked at him with love. The guy's turning his back on Jesus, thinking money and riches are going to satisfy what Jesus knows only he can satisfy. He's walking the exact opposite direction away from his true fulfillment. And Jesus looks at him with love. There's another scene I love in the New Testament when the sinful woman comes rushing into the party at the Pharisee's house and weeps at Jesus' feet. And the Pharisee says, Simon the Pharisee says, if he were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. And the scripture says he's looking right at the woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? He didn't see her. He didn't really see her heart. Jesus knew that in all of her sinful choices, she was looking for him. He saw her. And now she was learning how to redirect her desire to him. We need to ask for the grace to see other people who are walking the opposite way and see them as Jesus saw. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful. And related to that, you talked a lot about last night the, the difference between um, looking at someone and seeing them. So this question is, I'm having a hard time not being physically intimate because I love my boyfriend. Help me understand. I'm reading someone else's question. If you're just listening to the, <laughs> if you're listening to the, the audio version of this show, this isn't my question. Um, as I was, I love my boyfriend. Help me understand if I'm seeing him, how this is still use. Yeah. I would say, I, I affirm, I'm sure you do love him. Don't look at me when... <laughs> I feel real uncomfortable with that. <laughs> I'm sure you do love him, but in all of us, in all of us, there are wheat and weeds growing together, right? And we have to learn how to distinguish where's the wheat and where's the weeds. I want to affirm, I'm sure you do love him. There's a lot of wheat in your relationship. There's also weeds in your relationship. And we cannot confuse a desire for physical closeness with love itself to if you have not committed to that person i am yours forever i will never leave you i will never forsake you you are indispensable irreplaceable unrepeatable i see that i acknowledge it and i have vowed before god to honor it if you haven't made that commitment 
then what you're doing is not expressing that kind of love. It's expressing something else. Yeah. Doesn't mean there aren't some beautiful aspects even there, because remember, the devil doesn't have his own clay. All he can do is twist that clay. So even in the most twisted sexual behavior, there's still something good in there that got twisted up, right? So there's something good in your relationship there. And you want to say, don't tell me that's all bad because I love him. There's something good. And I say, yes, you're right. There's something good. But there's also something twisted up. And we're called to more. Let Christ come into that and untwist it. Keep letting it be untwisted. If you're having a sexually intimate relationship with someone to whom you're not married, what you are doing in that act may have some genuine aspects of love, but it is not itself an act of love. Mm -hmm. right? And don't confuse the inclination for physical closeness with the call to love as God loves. Right? When we really understand, I have said this to my wife so many times, if we really understand what we're meant to be doing and meant to be saying with our bodies in the sexual act, there is no way on this good earth that I can be as vulnerable with Wendy as I am meant to be in that act unless she has promised to God and to me and to all our friends and family, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Yes. If you haven't, if you're not trusting in that pledge, if you haven't made that pledge and you can't rely on it, then you're wearing some level of a mask yeah. and you're not really being that gift that you're meant to be. It's that, that commitment that provides that, that safety that you like, I will always be there. It's, it's hearkening back to that Hosea. I, I will, I will make you lie down in safe safety. Right. And so if you, it, you might feel like you see your boyfriend, but you really aren't fully seeing him. If you don't understand that his dignity requires a commitment, total, total, yeah, irrevocable gift of your life. That's what he's worth. If you're not making that, then you can't express that. Not to diminish what the other part of what she shared, which is that she, she feels this passion for him yeah. that makes her want to express that passion. That's beautiful and it's good and, and right. So get married. Get married. Is that exactly? <laughs> and and that's what you want to express. It's time to get married. How many people are resisting getting married too quickly because they want to wait till they finish college or they want to wait till they have a good financial situation? Finish college married. Get into a good financial situation together. There's no reason to not, why, why not journey with the person already? And you know what I often get when I put that out just as you did? They're like, well, I was, I'm not ready for, I just, okay, then don't confuse your desire for an orgasm with love. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. That's a beautiful question. Yeah. All right. Advice if you can, if you, this kind of goes back to what you shared earlier. Advice if you often can't get old and pure images out of your mind during the marital act. Yeah. Honesty with God and with yourself. Um, not that I would necessarily recommend this in every marriage because every marriage is different and your spouse might not be able to handle this. My, my wife has journeyed with me in my broken places. She's in a place where she can handle my brokenness. Uh, so there, are, there have been times in our marriage where right in our union, I'd say, Wendy, we have to push the pause button because I'm getting slammed. Mm. What a killjoy that would be. Oh my God. I would rather have a kill. I would rather break the, the what mood are we? It's not even the holy. It's not a good mood, right? If I'm, if I'm getting this barrage of pornographic images when I'm supposed to be making love to my wife, time out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out. 
I want to be with you. I want to love you. And I'm getting this attack. And we will pray together. We'll say, just as you said, and you said it so well, Nick, we have the authority through our baptism to cast these lies out, to rebuke the enemy. Yeah. Right. And so there have been times right in the marital union where I say, Wendy, I'm so sorry. We need to pray. We need to pray. Uh, and let's rebuke the enemy. We rebuke the enemy and we invite the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it becomes what it's meant to be. At least it becomes more and more what yeah, it's meant to be. Sacramental. Sacrament. Yeah, beautiful. It's a great answer. How do you approach conversations about gender identity with middle school students? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but wait. But you have young kids. I do. And uh, when I was at your house, they, they showed me their bedrooms and stuff. And I saw in their bedrooms, by their bedsides, your book. And... <laughs> And they told me that you read that book to them every night. And I want to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, my poor kids. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine what it'd be like to have me as your dad, the theology, the body guy? I mean, there's a lot of eye rolling in my house from my kids towards me. But they're also awesome. They're all awesome. Yeah, they are. I, they, I have yeah. awesome kids. Um, but I, I grant them all the eye rolling they need because they have to deal with their dad, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Where do I begin? <laughs> Wendy and I tr have tried, right, to, to really unfold this vision for our kids. Um, and one of the, I think, one of the, I think even my kids would agree this was a successful approach. This, what I'm about to share. Every night when we put our kids to bed, from the littlest of ages we would say this prayer. And all my kids have it memorized because they've heard it thousands of times. It goes like this. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for making mommy to be a woman. Thank you for making dad to be a man. Thank you for calling mom and dad to the sacrament of marriage. Thank you for bringing John Paul and Thomas and Beth and Isaac and Grace into the world through mom and dad's love. Wow. Thank you for making the boys to be boys. Help them to grow into strong men to give their bodies away in love. Thank you for making the girls to be girls. Help them to grow into strong women to give their bodies away in love. If they're called to marriage, please bless their future spouses wherever they are. If they're called to give themselves entirely to the eternal marriage, which is what we call celibacy for the kingdom, right? Prepare their hearts for that vocation. That kind of language in the context of prayer, in the context of the sacred, has really, I believe, formed and shaped our, our family experience of the body and sexuality. And we're also very light on our feet about it. We laugh about it. We tell good stories and jokes about it. And, and I'll snuggle up to Wendy at the in the kitchen and like in her neck and she'll go <laughs> and the kids will be oh, you know. But all that is part of a culture that we have tried to foster of 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 a healthy approach to the body. And I'll never forget the kids, you know, like when they're two and three and they get out of the bathtub and they're all excited to be naked running yeah. to the house. And, I still hey, do that. You still, yeah. <laughs> we need to talk. <laughs> you know, that, that was a time of celebrating their, their nakedness. Like, mm -hmm. And they knew if they ran to me, if mom had been giving them the bath, they're out of the bath, they're running to find me in the house all naked because they know I'm going to squeeze their hiney cheeks and say, hiney cheeks! <laughs> uh, I still do that to my 18-year-old kid. He's like, <laughs> There's an age appropriateness here in Alden, right? You know, like up to age three, four or something. That was part of our family culture, just to celebrate the goodness of being male. And yeah, you know, yeah. God made us this way. This is holy. And you see your kids fiddling in the bathtub with their genitals. You're like, it's, 
Do you know how holy your body is? Not stop that, that's dirty. No, no. Do you know how holy your body is? That, that, that God gave you that part of your body to be a gift. And if you're called to be a husband and a father like I'm called to be, one day you're gonna make a gift of your body to your wife and that's how children are gonna come into the world. So holy, it's not a toy. We don't play with it like a toy. Wow. We need to learn how to honor and reverence the holiness of our bodies. That's a culture we've tried to create in our family. I love that. All my kids will also tell you, tell, tell me and tell you, um, and my adult kids are at the stage now where they're looking back at their childhoods. I have kids now in their 20s, and they're like, Dad, you, that was okay, that was good, that was helpful, but man, you, that was messed up. <laughs> that did not help me. Um, and I think I was probably trying to overcorrect. Sure. Because I got total, almost total silence from my parents. And maybe I said too much to my kids or pushed the, you know, I, I thought, well, they need to know this and they're going to hear it from me. So here we go. And yeah, my kids, my adult kids are, they need counseling. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're all awesome. And they I, you know, awesome, one of your yeah. sons is working for you yeah, at the yeah. Theology Body Institute and he's doing great stuff with what he's up to. Like the, your kids are great. Thank you. They, they are beautiful kids, but they all have, the, we, we live in a fallen world, man. Yeah. And it is, it is messed up. And you can protect your kids to a certain extent, but you can't, the onslaught is there. Yeah. And we all, there's no immunity, yeah. right? Cause we're all fallen, but you can hold out what is true, good and beautiful. Yeah. And if you invite your kids to the banquet, at least they know it exists. I grew up not even knowing the banquet existed. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Same. We have three minutes for four more questions. Yeah. So we're not going to do that. Um, but I'm sorry if we didn't get to your question, the four of you, but um, if you want to ask Christopher uh, briefly after the event, I yeah, guess that's here. Yeah. And I'll point out to you guys, uh, my wife and I do a podcast called the Ask Christopher oh. West Show. She's the host. She fields all the questions. I answer with my kind of theological answer. And then anybody listen to the show? Isn't my wife awesome? Yeah. I give the theological answer and then she's like, but did you notice how what they were really asking was this? And she comes in with this just beautiful humanity and it rounds it out, yeah. the male and the female perspective. We've done over 200 episodes. We've asked, answered over 600 questions. So please just dive in there. You'll, 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 I think you'll find it very, very helpful. Yeah. My wife and I have loved it. Okay. Uh, I'll listen to it going on jogs and stuff like it's just fantastic. Um, and I love the authenticity of who you guys are also, which comes across in the show. Like I had only the show as a reference point until I met Wendy and just what a lovely woman. Like she's, she's just fantastic. I'll share a secret with you. The reason we only film it every once in a while because we record in the nude. Oh, that's, that's how we get that intimate feel. Should we have done that? You, um, nah. <laughs> okay. Cause we're like on camera. I just want this to be the best show possible. Has... <laughs> no, we, we, do, we do not record in the nude. We do not. But, but the point there, there's a point there to my joke. There's a point to my joke that there is a nakedness in our hearts, yeah. right? We're, 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 I've learned this from my wife. Um, she is a real lover of persons. Mm. And when you are loved, you really can be naked. You yes. can be naked without shame because you know you're seen. Yeah. And the physical nakedness is a joke about, you know, we don't record in the nude, but we really do record with a kind of nakedness of heart. Yes. And that needs to be modeled, right? 
when we know we're loved, we can lie down in safety. Yes. Yes. Um, so the, the parish mission I just did, uh, the last weekend, uh, one of the things, one of the nights that I do is all about confession. And a lot of people are so resistant to confession. And what I say, what I say at that night is it, you, we don't draw enough correlation between our relationship with God and relationship with other humans. And I said, imagine in a marriage, the inability to look each other in the eye and say, I'm sorry. And that's what we're doing with God. And I literally, I went up to a woman in the middle of this presentation and I looked her in the eye and I shook her hand and I said, Becky, I'm sorry. And she got emotional and I said, that felt good to you. And you don't even know what I was apologizing for. Imagine what it means something. And so that vulnerability, that, that authentic that intimacy, nakedness. that nakedness is only possible when we can uh, reconcile with each other fully in authenticity, with transparency and with God. Something you said there, Nick, just really struck me. We, how did you put it? We, we, we don't understand our relationship with God often in terms of human relationships. Yeah, we don't draw enough correlation. Correlation. Yeah. What just, it was like, boom, Christianity is the only religion in which our relationship with God is a relationship with a human. Ooh. Oh, snap. Because the word was made flesh yes. and the divine and the human have been wed, right? So many people think of religion as a flight from the body and humanity to reach God. Christianity represents the exact opposite movement. God taking on a body, taking on our humanity to reach us. If we're trying to divorce ourselves from our bodies to reach God, we can make no sense out of a God who is wedding himself to our bodies to reach us. Mm. This is Christianity. We never, ever leave the body behind. Theology of the body is not just the title of a bunch of talks that John Paul II gave on sex and married love. Theology of the body is the very logic of Christianity. Yes. It's the very logic of the incarnation. I'll share this and, and then I'll shut up. <laughs> GK. Thanks, Ethan, for laughing. Thank you. Ethan. Uh, I love Ethan. Isn't he great? He's a good yeah. man. Yeah. He's a good man. He is a good man. We love you, Ethan. Uh, what was I saying? I have no idea. G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton. He says, the very soul of Christianity is a body. Mm. Yeah. The very soul of our faith, the source and summit of our faith, is the body of Christ given up for us. This is our faith. And this is the light that reveals the true meaning of our bodies, his body. Mm -hmm. Wow. Amen. Amen. Guys, Christopher West. Thank you. Christopher, thank you so much for being with me here on the Awakened Catholic Show, for saying yes to the invitation. And um, y'all, thank you for being here and for being such an awesome audience. Make sure to keep hanging out. I have no idea if we have any coffee left or anything, but make sure that we don't by the time you leave. Keep the cameras rolling. I just got to do this on tape. Oh gosh. Oh boy.
Oh my goodness. Once wasn't enough. You had to come back for more. Yeah. We're made for more. We're made for more. Did you learn nothing? Amen. Uh, Christopher, where can people find you? Uh, Theologythebody.com is our main website at the Theology Body Institute. Uh, If you're interested in our courses, we offer 12 different courses. You can get certified with us. You can get a master's degree, half with us and half with Pontifex University. Um, What else? Oh. Our level one introductory course, kind of our flagship course, if you'd like to get three free sessions sent to your email, go to tobforfree.com, register there. We will send you three free sessions of our introductory course. Those are all great places to start. And we have a very active YouTube channel. We have thousands. I don't know how many videos we have on there. Check it out. We have lots of different shows on, on our YouTube channel. Just jump in and, and yeah. start going deep. And we'll include links to everything you just said in the show description, the show notes. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this all has been such an amazing experience. And if you want to support the execution of doing things like this, putting on events like this, uh, the media that we produce at Awakened Catholic, just visit awakencatholic.org slash donate to become a part of what makes all of this possible. Uh, become a patron, join our patron community, the Awakened Nation. Um, and then additionally, this episode is sponsored by the pilgrimage to the Holy land that I'm leading later this year. Yeah. I have someone here in the audience that went with me last time. Go, go, go. I went to the Holy land the first time about three, four years ago. Life changing. Yeah. Amen. So I'll be going with, uh, father Eric Schild. He and I are leading it and it's later this year. Check it out. It's, uh, essentially everything is included all but one meal and it's, that's for fun. So you can go out and have fun on your own in old Jerusalem. So check that out. And then also catholicmerch.store. And then a huge thank you to Casa Bea Cleaning Services for making all of this possible in a number of ways. And our patron community, the Knights of Columbus who built this stage and are going to be soon demolishing the old uh, garbage heap of a bar that is currently covered with a tablecloth so that you don't see how gross it is. Um, That's going to be torn down and the Knights of Columbus are building a new bar for us as well. Uh, So yeah. Nick, you are doing some awesome stuff here. Thank you for your yes to the Holy Spirit. He is powerfully at work for you, brother. Thank you. Glory to God. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Christopher West. I have been Nick De La Torre, and this has been The Awakened Catholic Show. And before you go, I just need you to know that Jesus loves you. Peace. Thanks, brother. Thank you.